Welcome to Driven Radio Show, your home for car talk, covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Your hosts are freelance auto journalist, senior auction analyst for Sports Car Market Magazine and American Car Collector Magazine, writer and editor of ReadTheDriven.com, Brad Hatfield, plus the host of the YouTube channel Craving Cars, Corey Pratt, and 35-year radio veteran and local village idiot mark catfish groves let's wrap up the conversation time for driven radio show hey thanks for listening to driven radio your weekly devotional to the automotive gods you can find us you can find us online at drivenradio.com readthedriven.com on itunes acast stitcher google play everywhere five podcasts are heard and uh downloaded and uh you know we're uh, again now, did you have time this week to look up the Chicken Man reference? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> you, you absolutely you should have. prioritize that, huh, Corey? Uh, yeah, it was kind of... <laughs> silly me? <clears throat> yeah. we're, we're everywhere, baby. I'll think I was too busy uh, doing something else. Follow us on Facebook and on Twitter at uh, Driven Radio Show and on Instagram at Driven Radio Show. I am your host, Brett Hatfield, here with our intrepid engineer and co-host, Catfish Groves, Whoop. and Corey Pratt of Craving Cards on YouTube. Hey, hey. Uh, we're coming to you from Driven Radio Studios in scenic, lovely Overland Park, Kansas. If you like what you're hearing, tell your friends. If there's something you want to hear more of, tell us. Uh, this week we've got uh, we got a lot of news. We got a lot yeah. of stuff to cover. A plethora, CFA, a plethora, a plethora. Uh, of cars uh, that will no longer be produced in 2020. Ford and Rivian teaming up to build an electric SUV for Lincoln, and the Brumos collection opening in Florida in Jacksonville. I'm super uh, excited about that. Our our friend Aaron Israel is going to be here to tell us a little bit about that. That's our, awesome. We've got a, a great guest this week, Cash Singh. He's Ford's performance enthusiast marketing manager. I bet that's a long business card. That's, you think it's a double wide? It's like bumper sticker yeah. length. The more yeah. titles you get, the better you'll die. Yeah. <laughs> Cash will be here to talk to us about some of the more interesting vehicles in the Ford lineup, driving Ford GTs in Las Vegas, and uh, racing Mustangs up Pikes Peak. Oh, man. Uh, we got a lot to cover this week, so let's get to it. Let's get into those production cars that will no longer be in 2020. Car and Driver did their latest of what's going to be stopped and no longer yeah. be Stuff we got to say goodbye bye to. Well, yeah. there's a lot of stuff on this list that was just kind of like, mm, okay, what makes sense? Whatever. Yeah. But there are a few things on this list that are little, really little sad to see you. go yeah. away. Yeah. yeah, stuff I like. Now, a most lot. of this is cars. Uh, obviously, as crossovers and SUVs uh, kind of tend to take over the world, unfortunately. Uh, some wagons, some tall vehicles, things like that. But so, starting kind of from the top of the list, uh, BMW has a couple. You have the three series Gran Turismo and the six series Gran Turismo. I think that's just like option package stuff, isn't it? And, you know, I really wish I would have. Because you know they're not going to stop making the 3 Series or the 6 Series. No, yeah, that's definitely still going on. But it's just, you know, kind of like how they have an M just car. Just the ones you like. this car. Yeah, yeah it's just, <laughs> yeah, just a different, you're right. It's a different trimmed kind of model. That's no longer, uh, I'm sorry, but Buick is going to be canceling a few. The LaCrosse and the Cascada. I had to look up what the Cascada is. I'm not sure I could pick it out of a lineup. Uh-uh. Yeah, I think I know the LaCrosse, but that's well, That's it. probably why they're getting rid of it, because if you don't know what that thing looks <laughs> no like. No one knows. It's yeah. a convertible, apparently. Ah, well, there you go. How huh. fun can that be? Is it? I guess. Buick has I a know. convertible? Yeah, yeah It looks a lot like a Chrysler. Oh, Okay. 
Uh, Cadillac uh, XTS Chevrolet Cruze, the Volt, which I think they now are going to have the Bolt. Yeah. Or the well, Revolt. Whatever, yeah. They'll bring it back. Something was, like that. It was revolting the, to start with. The Ford Flex, the Ford Taurus, which oh, of course... Oh, the Ford Flex is kind of a cool thing. That's that wagon it's, it's deal. It's different, yeah. It's, it's a flat toaster. It's yeah, like it, lo- it looks like a brick. It's a truck, it looks but like it's as low as a wagon, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah but have you ever taken a look inside mm-hmm. one of those? You fold uh-huh. down the back seats. Those things are huge inside. Huge and spacious. Oh, yeah. You could almost get a sheet of plywood in them. It's like one of, what is it, the Scion B? Is yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's the little Except toaster got looking. Hot and got kind of stretched. Well, on. oh yeah, yeah it, it looks a like uh, a Scion flexible, B made out of taffy. More flexible. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But uh, well, the Ford Taurus, of course, which I think we all oh, knew that that was going. That's so that's sad. Been the list for I didn't a while. even know they were still making that. That's I thought the poor man's camera. I, I kind of thought 19 was the last year. I guess 20. I guess. Uh, well, maybe 19 was. Uh, Jaguar XJ, which more likely is going to return as an electric car because Jaguar says they're going all electric. Yeah. I can't possibly fathom. And, you know, they're eventually Especially one maker's going to do British it one engineers. Days. Uh-huh. Oh, boy. <laughs> We're going all electric. Oh, Hello, boy. Lucas. Wait a sec. <laughs> now we really can't oh, get the windows to roll down. Well, you got to remember the... Uh, <laughs> you got to remember the motto of Lucas Electrics. Be home before dark. <laughs> <laughs> we got the Lincoln uh, MKC. Um, uh, Lincoln MKT. Too many dang letters. But then again, Lincoln's replacing a lot of those with actual you yeah, know, words. R- r- real cars. <laughs> well, the, so, the, the MKC, I think, is going to become the Corsair with a yeah, little bit different bodywork. I believe so. I believe so. The Smart uh, 4.2. I know you're you're devastated. I get it. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, right. Uh, well, first of all, out, I didn't think I didn't think it was still being made. And secondly, <laughs> you can find that at any Walmart. You just look, it's usually in between a couple of carts in the cart corral. That's the little uh, handle on the back. <laughs> <laughs> just wipe your hands first with a little cleaning towel. And yeah. well, I've it's seen them. At, I've seen them at Walmart. They use them for the little kids to ride in. Nice. <laughs> the uh, you're gonna be disappointed about this too. I'm sure the Toyota Prius C. <laughs> So, do, suck do they, it, Greeny. Do, do they still have the A, B, and B? Uh, uh, I, I like, I care. Are they going to replace that with the Prius D? Uh, I don't. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't, and, I can't uh, tell you how little I care. And for you hippies out there, the Volkswagen Beetle. Oh, yeah. that's kind of sad because. Well, well, I guess you're not necessarily a hippie for a Beetle. I, I liked. Well, that last version of the Beetle that they came out where they stretched it a little bit and mm-hmm. kind of started going, hey, this is kind of like a really groovy uh, BMW. And I'm like, uh, that, that's not the character. The, it's supposed when, to be bulbous you, and you, weird. You want to know why yeah, they stretched right it a little bit, don't you? Right before. Uh-huh. Because they stretched the Golf and it's the same platform. Right oh, before God. they came out with that, <laughs> of course, uh, they were doing renderings of a Beetle that was a little squattier and had flared fenders and looked like it might actually have a bit of a hairy chest for a Beetle. And they were pretty cool looking, and then they came out with it. I was like, eh. "Yeah, you're totally, yeah, yeah, a very meh, oh, yeah. very meh." Yep. <laughs> and bye bye. Uh, looks like uh, Ford's investment in Rivian is about to start paying off for them. Yeah, they've uh, confirmed from the high end electric SUV. Uh, I think we mentioned it a couple of shows ago. Yeah, uh, as a possibility, it with and it was going to be worked with Rivian. We kind of had the idea that Rivian was building this thing, but nope, it's going to be badged and sold as a Lincoln. Now, neither oh, Ford okay. or Rivian are saying when the production is going to begin. Of course, so, they aren't. Yeah, yeah, you know, you gotta you gotta kind of heat the pan before you pop the popcorn. Sure. And uh, under the agreement, Rivian is going to produce the chassis. With the battery pack, the electric motor, suspension axles, all the key components. Okay. And then Ford 
puts the rest on top. They slap on the icing and the cake. Yeah. And it's basically Rivian's putting the plate that it's going to be on. Well, I hope it's all plug and play for them. <clears throat> oh, yeah, it'll have to be. <laughs> Ford's going to have to design it so that it works nicely sure. with Rivian stuff. So uh, they, they're talking about a range of 400 miles, but neither Ford nor Rivian are commenting on it so that's kind of eh. mm-hmm. so is, yeah. is this lincoln's first kind of entry to the, the electric side or? this is kind of the beginning and these were the uh, the cool looking rivian was those cool looking cars that kind of had the big hero yeah. six character front face it looks like kind of almost a smiley face sure and yet it still looks like a truck and looks like an suv and uh well they had that kind of universal skateboard type yeah uh platform they were talking about where the uh, you know you get the wheels, tires, and frame, and then the base of the car is the battery, and that's exactly what they're doing with this. So uh, uh, Ford's already investing uh, like eleven and a half billion dollars to introduce forty electrified vehicles by get this twenty twenty two. That's aggressive, seriously aggressive. Wow, now, this stuff's yep. in the pipeline. Now the now. thing is, I say that, but maybe I'm just so far behind the times because if you've already got you know a, a Mustang E and you do this as an E and that as an E and you have this plug and play platform. That's a little bit of Henry Ford mixed in there. Somebody's got to have a ton of battery tech that they haven't released yet. I, I hope so. I, I hope somebody's up there with Tesla going, okay, let's really figure this out. But uh, fully electric, rest will be hybrids, plug-in hybrids. It does sound like Ford's getting back into what they used to call coach building because they're getting a platform and then they're building a body different on well it's it's one. almost like having it's, it's somebody like else the same thing yeah really yeah. but in this case coach uh ford becomes the coach builder yeah that's what I mean. and uh rivian is supplying the platform which is kind of backwards from the way it used to work where the auto manufacturer supplied the platform supplied the and then platform. you took it to somebody like yep. fioni and falashi right and had them make the, the coach well you know what's going to happen you need to buy rivian stock right freaking now because ford will buy rivian oh I, I i'm betting that rivian stock is tough to get your hands on yeah. and ford already owns a big it's chunk and amazon size. already owns a big chunk so with 22 of these cars coming into the uh coming out from ford uh, that's quite the collection now you also have a story on quite the collection uh, right now yes speaking, i do yeah, and speaking we, of we have somebody we're going to speak to so the brumos collection uh formerly brumos Porsche is a name synonymous with American sports car racing. Uh, they've got a race car collection that rivals some of the best in the world. And uh, the, the collection used to be a secret. You couldn't see it unless you got an invite. It wasn't something you could just show up and go see. Ooh. Well, now that collection has gone public. Uh, the Brumos collection is now opened in a new 35,000 square foot bespoke building just east of downtown Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, the collection opened its doors January 23rd after a ribbon cutting ceremony earlier in the week. They've got an assortment of cars from Porsche as well as other cool European and American cars. Uh God, you gotta! You cannot believe some of the stuff on their website. You start going through the pictures, and there's so much cool stuff there. Uh, they've got a 1959 Porsche Tractor, uh, <laughs> nice. A, a 67 910, a 1968 908, both very sexy cars. The Brumos collection is who bought Steve McQueen's 917K from the movie Le Mans at auction a couple years ago. They've got a 72 uh, 917.10 and 86 960. They've got cool oh. stuff. But they also have a bunch of stuff that is not Porsche. They've got a 1920 Miller TNT and a 25 Bugatti Type 35, a 39 Alfa Romeo 8C 2900, and also that 
unbelievable 1914 Peugeot L45 that was at McPherson last year in May. And we've got... uh, we have Aaron Israel with us, who is responsible for having that wonderful thing at McPherson last year. Aaron, welcome back to Driven Radio. Thanks for having me. It's a blast to be back. Um, hey, just real quickly, uh, tell us about opening night and who was there. You know, it was a real good event. Uh, a lot of the Brundages were there. Um, that's the family that kind of got Brumos going early on. And uh, it was neat to meet the family members and people who got Brumos started. Um along with Peter Gregg later on, so it was a blast. And a lot of people that I've heard many, many stories about being the new guy around there. And uh, it was great. And then the second night was a lot of the Porsche corporate people. So we had the engineers from the GT program and the drivers who won the championship last year. And a lot of our old drivers like Lee Keen and Andrew Davis and Hurley Haywood. Oh, man, that would have been neat. That would have been cool. So how have the ticket sales been so far? Ticket sales have been amazing um we've sold out for the past what last week and then i believe we've already sold out for this week as well so we're off to a great start uh just hopefully it stays that way so and uh you said lee keen was there have you got a chance to ride in the safari 911 that he built for the collection <laughs> so i have not ridden in it with anyone i've actually gotten to drive it myself there's a very and... very cool video online of lee driving that car in yes yeah, that's if you have not seen that video, you need to check it out. It's on our YouTube channel now. Um, we've done some clips on Instagram of that car, and it handles beautifully. And what he does in those cars is like nothing else. I mean, if you've seen Ken Block's Jim Connor type videos, you know it's kind of the same thing. Just imagine a safari car out in the woods of Florida. So it was a good time. <laughs> nice. <laughs> very nice. Very very cool. So, uh, are you? I, I know that you've been under pressure for months to get all this stuff done and open. Are you able to breathe a sigh of relief yet, or is that still down the road? You know, we we tell a lot of people we're able to breathe a little bit, but the reality is we uh, we're moved, but we're not moved in, and so that's kind of where we're at now. We we can relax because the big openings happen; people can come see us. But right now, we're our big push is getting everything set up and moved in the way we want. So, a little bit of both. Reading what I did online, it sounds like a really, really cool facility. 35,000 square feet is gigantic. And it's you've got a 22-seat movie theater. You've got interactive displays, a research archive, uh, a working shop, a dyno, and a machine shop. So, it sounds like you're uh, very well self-contained. Yeah, we are. And it's, you know, the whole idea, Phil, is... We, we want to be able to, you know, maintain what we have and preserve what we have with every car we own. With that, we want to be able to educate and spread the wealth of knowledge we have, with whether it's with the Brumos cars or it's the Millers and the early American Indy cars. You know, it's, it's not about just what we have. It's about spreading the knowledge of what we have and contain in-house. Well, you know, cause we have a large collection of carburetors and tether cars and everything else, and it's really just sharing all that knowledge with everyone. And I, I also know that you've been talking to our buddy Ped Watt about coming down and possibly shooting part of the collection. Absolutely. Uh, we look forward to seeing all of the pictures that come out of that. Ped is such a talented guy. I'm sure he'll make everything look stellar. He the, is. 
the Brumos Absolutely. collection is open on Thursdays and Fridays from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Buyers will have to get their tickets online as the museum does not do walk-up sales. The fee is $20 or $15 for children, seniors, and active military. Uh, the link to the Brumos collections website and all of their social media as well of all of Aaron's social media links can be found on readthedriven.com. Hey, Aaron, thanks for being for, with us so quickly to talk about the museum. Uh, good luck with everything, and we look forward to seeing you down there in Florida. Hey, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me back on. Coming up next, our special guest this week is Cash Singh, Ford Performance Motor and uh, Ford Performance Enthusiast Marketing Manager. Man, what a mouthful. Uh, Cash will be here to talk about uh, all the cool things he gets to do with his job, what it's like to race up Pikes Peak and uh, do other hill climb races, and uh, also what it's like to go pilot a new Ford GT around Las Vegas early on a Friday morning. We've got that and a lot more coming up next on Driven Radio. Cash Singh is the Ford Performance Enthusiast Marketing Manager. I bet you got a long business card. Oh, man. That's uh, a lot of ink. Yeah, no yeah. kidding, man. It, his business card weighs four and a half ounces. Uh, like, like all of us, Cash is a lifelong car enthusiast. He cut his automotive teeth in Southern California in the uh, sports compact car scene. Uh, he spent most of his weekends either at drag strips or car shows or canyon carving uh, and spent a lot of time in the canyons in a Nissan 350Z. Uh, he's an accomplished racer. Uh, he's got a, a modified twin-turbo Mustang GT that he races. He's also raced several years at the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb. Oh, super uh, cool. And, and oh. it, it, once even running in a 2008 Shelby GT500. Oh, man. Oh, baby. Yeah, that's a heck of a car to go race in, isn't yeah, it? no kidding. He's, and like I said, he's Ford's performance enthusiast marketing manager, which means he gets to guide Ford's involvement in various enthusiast opportunities and in the enthusiast community. Uh, but what makes him most cool <laughs> is he got me behind the wheel of a 2019 Ford GT in Las Vegas in I've October. Got, I've got envy. <laughs> I just made a buddy for life. Yeah. With, with Joey Hand, the guy who won the 2016 Le Mans 24 Hours and a Ford GT. Oh, wow. So, yeah, they put me in the car, and he was riding shotgun. Now, that doesn't make any sense, but I was really grateful for it. Uh, and I think that makes Cash one of the coolest human beings walking. Ever. Uh, Cash, right welcome to Driven Radio. Thanks, pal. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, that's, a, that's quite a resume for a guy as young as you are. Can you, can you tell us how you, went to, how you started working for Ford? Uh, it's one of those old stories. A kid in college walks up to a Ford recruiter. I'm in slippers or flip-flops, wearing shorts, uh, and a no-fear t-shirt in Southern California around 2000. So you look really professional. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very professional. And walked into the recruiter and said, hey, uh, i like to work for Ford Racing. What's up? And um, after a little bit of prodding and questioning, he's like, I think you should come work for me. He handed me a business card, and it was Ford Credit. And life flashed between my eyes. I thought I was going to have to sit in a cubicle and crunch numbers all day, all night. And, um, well, 15 years after, I'm crunching numbers, but doing fun stuff in a cubicle in World Headquarters. Well, it sounds like you're a lot closer than you were when you started. Uh, but what other jobs have you worked for Ford? You surely didn't start out. I mean, you said you went to work for Ford Credit, but what were you doing? 
Well, actually, so got hired into the company, and one of the first things they do is they put you through what's considered Ford College Graduate Program. Uh, they take you wherever you're living. At the time, they would tell you to pick another city so you can't stay at home. Um, and I got saddled uh, in Dallas, Texas. Uh, oh, so nice. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a warm and uh, hot, uh, tons of car stuff to do out there. But when you're traveling Monday through Friday for work, I was basically a dealer rep. So I got to consult with the dealers on the service side, um, working at profitability, look at numbers, processes, making sure they take care of our customers. And just the general interface between Ford and the company. Uh, spent uh, some time there, just about visited every city in Texas and Oklahoma. It's a very large state. Uh, in both those states combined, you cover a lot of territory. Uh, spent yeah. uh, some time in the motorcraft side of the business, kind of did the aftermarket, and then um, got the privilege of coming up to Detroit for the first time in 2011 to work on new product planning uh, for accessories. I am car guy, love cars, love accessories, like making things go fast and looking cool. So the company tapped me to look at new products and see what we were not doing and what we were in the space for. One of my babies is bringing exposed weave carbon fiber in. Ooh. And that's why some of our, it, it, it was a task. Uh, if you imagine a company that's full of a lot of engineers that are used to doing a set of, a complete set of things. Now it's like, let's look at something completely new. Uh, but we were able to get the pipes through, and uh, that's why performance of vehicles do have carbon fiber in them. Very, very cool. You know, uh, a, a little piece of trivia that I read here a while back, you talk about how big Texas is. El Paso is closer to L.A. than it is to Dallas. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> you know that? that? I do know that because I've driven it. That's how that's how stinking that's how stinking big that state is. It, it's kind of amazing. You actually go through basically climate changes. Uh, I, I lived in Dallas for ten years and uh, and went down to you know some of the southern parts of uh, Texas a few times. And between the hill country and up north yeah. with Wichita Falls and the Panhandle, you got winter, you got summer, you got desert, you got it's crazy. And then you got Ford, which is awesome. <laughs> you know, it's that one state that I've been told before. It's like yeah, you drive all day and you're still in the state yep. yeah you, you haven't you, left you don't right yeah, it but, ain't wrong but I, I can't remember where i read that el paso's closer to la than dallas that's, and dallas is, is right in the middle of the stinking <laughs> that state is funny. um so how'd you manage to go from the credit side to the uh the accessories side with the performance stuff and then to what you're doing now well it's basically the the company does a very good job of identifying talent, and sometimes uh, we place the right people. In Did the you right hear that? Job. He just said he's very talented. He gives great humble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I say this. I say this with a grain of salt because I do work with a lot of talented folks. Uh, in my case, they saw my background with the racing that I've done, the previous car shows, and all those things, and they kind of made me an offer I can refuse. Because after that stint with uh, accessories, I. I kind of got tired of the snow, so I asked for a transfer out. Uh, loved Seattle, and that's where I spent about the last four years. And I had my feet kicked up, uh, working with dealers, enjoying my time consulting with those uh, folks. And then the company came back to me with a job that I couldn't resist. Um, if there's ever a job that was meant for a person in the company, it's cash thing. And this was a job. That's what I was told. And it has been a very fun job to date, and I've only been in it for about three months. So I can't wait to see what the rest of the year holds. Well, that's really oh, yeah. cool. So uh, now your title is a block long, but what it says is really cool. Performance enthusiast, marketing manager, 
what all do you get to do with this job? Um, do all the fun things I love to do, and the company pays for it. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> damn, um, that's awesome. Dreams do come true. <laughs> so basically, uh, we've got a lot of enthusiasts. As you know, the Mustang's uh, one of the most uh, profound vehicles out there for enthusiasts. We've got Bronco that's out there, F one fifty. We've got a lot of things with the Raptor that they were a lot of enthusiast communities with it, and uh, I'm basically the interface for those folks. And um, what events and venues can we be at to interact with those customers and then keep the passion going in our industry for these performance vehicles and just vehicles in general. But, um, you know, it's, that's my job. Go out and interact with them. I've worked uh, various shows with the Bear Jackson. Uh, that's where I met Brett. Uh, so it's kind of like, you know, meeting different people where they're at kind of engage uh, with us. So you've only been doing this for a few months. What's the most surprising thing you've gotten to do so far? Um, drive a Ford GT. <laughs> I'd say that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah that was really um, good. <laughs> actually, I'll tell you what. I so one of my job responsibilities also. Uh, I, I'm over. I oversee the Ford Performance Racing School. So if you purchase some of our oh, Ford products, it's, it's a tough job. I know it's a tough job. Um, so if you purchase one of our performance vehicles, uh, like the Shelby D500 or 350 Raptor, yeah. even our SUV um, experiences. You get to come to school on us. Uh, you can show up at our track program in Charlotte. Hey, what time's the Ford dealer open? <laughs> 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 well, if you buy a vehicle, come on out. Um, and I got to go out and do our Raptor uh, experience, the Raptor Assault. And I tell you, I've never been in a truck sideways at about 33 degrees. I'm, I'm a go-fast muscle type of guy. Good Lord. That was pretty cool. Wow. <laughs> wow, that's that's awesome. That sounds cool. Oh my god. Okay, we are speaking with Cash Singh. He is a uh, Ford's. I, I got to look it back up because I can't remember. Head it is Ford's performance and enthusiast marketing manager. Guy at Ford. What a cool title, yeah. though. <laughs> um, hey, if you'll pardon the pun, shifting gears a little bit. Uh, what got you into hill climb racing? I, I bought a 350Z uh, back in 03 and uh, ended up in the Santa, Santa Monica Mountains with uh, just some of the car clubs and started carving canyons. Um, and then kind of hung the hat when I went to Ford. Uh, I was busy working and then, you know, trying to be an adult. Uh, and then one day I'm sitting in San Antonio after having called in a dealer and I'm watching a show, uh, Modern Marvels, on the History Channel. And they talked about the Pikes Peak Highway and that it was going to be fully paved by 2010, and this is around 2008. And I kind of sat there and thought, huh, that'd be kind of interesting to race in a whole climb. Um, the fact that I chose probably the most pinnacle of whole climb as my first whole climb was kind of funny. It's so funny. <laughs> I, I had built a car, finally made my way there in 2011, got accepted after I kind of talked my way in, um, since I didn't have any racing history and hill climb events, but I kind of nudged them and said, look, it's kind of like, you know, the old boys, I used to race uh, the canyons in Santa Monica and Mulholland and all those things. kind of did that. They want to put that on my resume, um, <laughs> and I was with it. And uh, that was technically nine years ago, and I'll go back this uh, this year for my 10th year there. That's incredible. So uh, we mentioned that you, you once ran a 2008 Shelby GT500. Why race a collector car at Pikes? You know, that's a good thing, a good question to ask. So, GT500, at the time, it was brand new. It had eight months on it. Uh, I purchased from a dealer, drove it home from Wichita, Kansas, where I found it, and then kind of parked it. And took it in for servicing, 
On the way home, a distracted driver decided to rear-end the car, uh, which took out any value that would have been in the vehicle. So I was looking at building a 500-horsepower Ford Focus at the time, and then realized the car already had 500 horsepower. We had actually killed it, and it was running about 700. And all I would need is, it was a cheaper cop to build. I just put up some safety equipment and go racing. So I thought... Out of curiosity, when somebody rear-ends you in your GT500, do you completely lose your cool standing there? <laughs> I was about to say, how did you get off the murder charge? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I lost my crap when a lady hit me in my 20-year-old Navigator a couple months ago. <laughs> well, to, to make it worse, uh, a young lady I was dating at the time was actually driving my company vehicle, uh, a Lincoln MKZ at the time. The person hit it with such that she actually pushed the Lincoln into my Shelby. Oh, did that no. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, i got to get away from that. That's giving me the shivers. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Tell us about your first year racing at Pikes Peak. Uh, it was a fun year. It was a hard year. Uh, practice was great. I crashed uh, the last day of practice. I uh, came around a turn. A lot of horsepower and uh, rubble does not mix when you're going from asphalt to dirt because the first year I ran was actually still two miles of uh, unpaved surface but it was sporadic it was between uh, there's a spread out over the mountain and my dad was up there with me and I'm a grown man even at the time you're 32 or so and all I could think about was when I drive back into the pit my dad's gonna kill me because I crashed the car (laughs) (laughs) I'm a grown man who's afraid of his dad getting upset so I pull in my dad looks and I rip off the front bumper and instead of asking if his son's okay, he walks over to the car and starts taking measurements to make sure we didn't do any damage to the chassis, which I thought was funny. Um, <laughs> I guess it's so funny. Um, he didn't kill me. Uh, and then race day came on Sunday. Um, looked good. Unfortunately, uh, overheated about six turns from the top, 13,000 oh. feet at the finish line, completely dumped all the fluid, uh, oh. side of the road. So that, that was... But, what made it special, though, even though I've now just, you know, I'm not going to make it to the top. It's done. Um, I'm pulled off the side thinking, am I going to have to figure out how to get this car home? Did I blow the motor? I mean, it's uh, what did I do? And uh, another media guy walks up and goes, hey, there's some water. Maybe we can fill it up and uh, see uh, if it starts up. So here I go trudging through the mountain to go to a snowmelt pond. I fill up a fat <laughs> bucket from the safety crew. And fired up the car. Um, car was fine. So he got the and car back down the hill on snow. Rocky melt. Mountain high test. <laughs> <laughs> you fired up and the water wasn't milking. You're like, oh, thank God. And uh, the best thing about Pike's Peak, though, is when you finish the race, we all drive down and all the fans stand on the side of the road and you high five all the fans all the way down. Um, I wanted to make that. Didn't make it to the top, but I wanted to at least see the fan uh, fan drive down and high five everyone because it's just uh, it's magical. Um, it's a very spiritual and it's a very it's something you have as a driver. And uh, yeah. was able to do that. It, you yeah. have four count them four records at Pikes Peak. Yeah, I say that with a smirk because those are those four records that people are like, do you really want those records? Oh, I'm, uh, I'm smiling. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> and so in 2016, I uh, I wanted to race the new Mustang. I decided to retire the 08 uh, GT500. We were chasing a lot of heating issues and cooling. It's a big muscle car. So 2016, we decided to take a stock EcoBoost. I was actually moving from Detroit back to Seattle. Figured it was the best way to just grab a stock car off a showroom. 
And that's what I did, put safety equipment right up the mountain, or tried at least, on race day. We had a lot of inclement weather come in, hail, snow, ice, the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. And um, I, so I'm, the four records I hold are technically the most red flags on race day. So I'm going to turn around and set back, so that's three. So three, technically three red flags, which led to four restarts. Um, and by this, and by this time, the fans are just cheering my name because everyone's tired of seeing me go up and come back, go up and come back. Um, a deer ran out in one of the spots. I was like, somebody tell me you're not going to make it to the top. And then I ended up actually having to shut off almost similar to the area in my first year, uh, because the road surface was covered in so much hail and I'm on summer Pirelli tires and just sliding off the place. And, uh, if you can imagine ain't uphill crawling at 20 miles an hour because I'm going to make it to the top. I'm almost there. And the car slides back on its own. It's time to shut it. Oh, my God. Yeah. 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 Rolling on marbles at the so, top of Pike's Peak is so, not the best so thing. So most right. red flags. So that led to uh, most miles driven on race day is the third record, which the racetrack itself is about 12 and a half miles long. I drove 42 miles. <laughs> most red flags, most restarts, most miles driven, and number four? Number four is most time spent in car. Um, <laughs> 13 minutes with a nice run. I spent two hours and 45 minutes. <laughs> oh, my God. Congratulations. <laughs> What to say? Oh, I bet you had to pee something fierce. I feel kind of bad for laughing, but boy, uh, you can always say, I have four records at Pike's Peak, and as long as nobody picks at you about it. Officials came up afterwards and, like, we're going to have to rebuild you for your entrance. I'm like, what do you mean? They go, you got so much practice time for next year, we should just charge you. (laughs) I'm unofficially called Mr. Red Flag on the the mountain, and um, I did. The Donner Award for Perseverance. Uh, for <laughs> so I got records and I got a trophy and I got some money and actually the money was actually better. So it was a good story and we can laugh about it now. And hopefully now, I won't yeah. <laughs> well, there's another thing about Cash racing at Pikes. He does something that I'm I'm sure few other people do. He drives his car there. He drives his race car there. No trailer, no truck. Oh, wow. He drives his race car there. What's it like to drive a race car all the way to Colorado? You know, it seems like a great idea when you get past... <laughs> no, it doesn't. No, it really doesn't. <laughs> and and like, are we there yet? Um, no, it's actually pretty pretty fun and exciting. The best thing about having a race car and things like that, like I mentioned before, it's about passing on our passion to other folks. Uh, best thing I can do is when I'm driving the road and this car is stickered up and it's it's street legal technically it has a license plate technically so I get to drive it wherever I go. It's the smiles on people's faces and when I pull in the gas stations and the little kids want to take a picture yeah. with the car. Yeah. They open up the doors, put them in, you know, let their parents, you know, they can jumble them all over the car and it's great to see somebody else hopefully that spark an interest somewhere. So it's actually pretty fun. Um, this year will be, uh, I mean, I've done it from Texas when I lived in Texas up to uh, Colorado Springs, uh, from Detroit, uh, from Seattle. Uh, had the pleasure of stopping at the Bonneville South Flats, make sure some great pictures. Um, but now it's just fun seeing people's reactions on the road. 
That's so cool. Yeah. All righty. So what what about your current car? Are you still racing the EcoBoost? What are you running? Well, technically, we call it the EcoBeast. So in 2016, I did like the way the turbo car handled in altitude. Uh, but I'm kind of a big V8 guy now. I've transitioned, right? I've grown up. I started with imports and then got into this big muscle car thing. And so I kind of felt like, why not mix the two and let's just twin turbo a V8? So I guess <laughs> And um, get all that. So it's it's been it's been a very hectic build with that car. Uh, a couple of sponsors and shops have helped me out. Um, Revolution uh, Speed Shop in Seattle actually did a lot of work in the car. 2017, we got the car together the Thursday before I had to drive out. Um, <laughs> it's it's that story. Parts don't arrive. You know, things get lost. UPS doesn't deliver, and I had no seat time. 2018, we want to do more seat time and more um, more uh, tuning, um, and we were tuning on the dyno, and here's the thing. If you put twin turbos on a V8 Mustang, um, around 1,000 to 1,100 horsepower, it might not be happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. We, we pushed it a little too far, and then uh, I spent the next two weeks overnighting parts, melting my credit card to get the car back there. <laughs> And the race shop did a fantastic job. They were able to piece the car back together Thursday before I had to drive out again. Uh, but I ran some personal bets up there. We had weather come in, so we weren't able to get full runs up to the top. I did have, uh, I've been just basically pulling time out as I go through. Um, and then last year, 2019, the car was strong. We had some issues, cooling issues, and um, unfortunately, we had a death on race day, so the, the race was called half. Oh, that's too bad. Okay, so this is my favorite uh, question of anybody we interview, and it it has turned into some of the best stories. What's the dumbest thing you've ever done in a car? So that's kind of hard because you got to pick so many. But <laughs> <laughs> you even have to choose. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're, we're car guys, right? You want me to choose one? That's kind of hard. I would. Any, mini, 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 mini. I think when you get older, you get wiser, maybe. But in uh, really, I, I'm still waiting. He <laughs> <You> said maybe. <laughs> maybe I said maybe. I did go harder ish. So, so if you've ever been in Southern California, there's an area called Palos Verdes. It's actually kind of a hilly part uh, overlooking the water. And we used to get up there with our cars and turn off our lights and try to drive down with just our running lights reflecting off the reflectors on the side of this hill. Um, <laughs> uh. you, you think, I don't know why we would do that. It just was one of those things where we'd chase each other down. You know, lead cars got it. The rear, you know, whoever's behind us follows brake lights. But yeah, so we would drive down these kind of hilly, mountainous roads um, with our lights off and moonlight guiding us and some reflections off the reflectors. <laughs> By the grace of God, there go I. I, I, can, I can feel everything on me getting tense just thinking about it. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my you know, Lord. We used to drive across the dam, Table Rock Dam in southern Missouri, but it had lights on both sides. We called it uh, airplaning because mm-hmm. you turn off the lights on your car and you, you go 90 to nothing across about a you know uh, maybe a quarter mile of dam. And it just, you, those lights going by, and you're like, oh, I'm on an airplane. Now you had to hit your brakes fast because there's curves at either end of that yeah, dam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a lot of dam in that dam. Uh, but uh, but I, I kind of get it. I may or may not have known somebody who owned a Camaro with a stopwatch hanging from the rear view mirror who drove around Lake Olathe every day <laughs> and night 
with the headlights off just to see oh, if I could not, he could remember where the curves were. It's allegedly, <laughs> allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, and this is where you go. Why did we do this when we were that young? And there isn't a good answer. Uh, because we would live forever. Because I'm the world's only living brain donor. <laughs> And they gave it back. <laughs> this is this is defective. I'm afraid we can't accept it. Sorry. I'll be normal. Yeah, whose brain did you get me? Abby somebody. Normal. Hey, Cash, thanks so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. You can find all of Cash's social media links as well as all the links for Ford on readthedriven.com. Thanks so much for spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our audience. You can find us online at drivenradioshow.com at readthedriven.com follow us on facebook at forward slash driven radio on twitter at driven radio instagram at driven radio everywhere at driven radio and everywhere fine podcasts are heard i'm brett hatfield for Corey pratt and catfish groves thank you for listening and we'll see you next time here on driven radio driven radio